Hello, readers. Uma Naidu, MD, is a board-certified psychiatrist, professional chef, and nutrition specialist. She's the director of the Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and director of Nutritional Psychiatry at the Massachusetts General Hospital Academy. She's also now the author of her first book titled This Is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, and more. Uma, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? Not too bad, Trey. How are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. So was there an epiphany for you with regards to combining psychiatry and nutrition? You know, uh, the while I'd like to say the connections happened early on in my childhood, I did have a very significant moment with a patient where I realized the interpretation of information I had learned in nutrition helped him to lose weight and really changed my therapeutic relationship with him. Um, and the fact that that powerful moment uh, led him to want to make changes because he understood what he could do was very powerful for me in understanding that if I could share that more widely and individuals struggling with whether it was mental well-being issues or even physical issues could understand that their nutrition is so hugely impactful, it could make for a better it could make for better medical care and a more integrated medical care. Understanding how food can help versus mental illnesses requires us to understand the mind-gut connection. And we are starting to understand that a whole lot of a whole lot better. People now at least comprehend the concept of the gut microbiome. But how exactly does this mind-gut connection work, Uma? You know, it's um, science that it's newer, really in the last decade and a half to two decades. And it is quite profound in that there's a ton of research being done and that has been done. What we understand and the best way to unpack it is the, the brain and the gut arise from the exact same cells in the human embryo. And then they divide up to form these different organs in different parts of the body. Then they remain connected throughout life anatomically by the connection of the 10th cranial nerve, the vagus nerve. And that nerve acts as a two-way bi-directional superhighway for chemical messages going between these two organs. And that's where food and the interpretation of the chemical signaling around the breakdown products of food becomes important. But then it's helpful for people to know that about 90% or more of the serotonin receptors, as well as serotonin, the happiness hormone, is actually also made in the gut. So putting all of that together, we start to understand that that mind-gut connection, the brain-gut connection, actually unfolds the food-mood connection. Um, and, and, it's, and it starts to sort of fill in the pieces of how we eat impacts how we feel. And how can the brain actually affect the gut bacteria too? It, it does. Um, so for example, if you eat a certain meal, it may be a healthier choice. The food gets broken down into different byproducts. On the day that you're eating healthier food, those microbes break down products that are healthier for your body and for your brain. There's a single cell lining uh, that is a single layer thick in the gut. It's very delicate. And good foods help to take care of that lining, take care of the gut environment. On a day that you are you know, going through the fast food lane and uh, eating foods that are not the best for your brain, the bad microbes in the gut are fed and nurtured. 
And when they thrive, they set up for inflammation in the gut. And inflammation in the gut ultimately becomes inflammation in the brain. So it's this loop, it's this ecosystem between these organs that is how they impact one another. And when the bad microbes thrive, they, their breakdown products are more toxic to the body and start to injure that delicate one single cell layer thin of the gut lining. And that's when you hear about people over time developing things like leaky, leaky gut, which is a, a medically called intestinal permeability and things like that. So it, it's, it's, uh, it, it's something we want to try to understand so we can use it to the best of our, our physical benefits as well as our mental health benefits. So the way that this book is laid out is chapters two through 10 uh, deal with specific ailments with you helping to explain the connection between gut and mind for the ailment, and then laying out the consumables, food and beverages that are bad for the ailments, and then also good for the ailment. Chapter two starts with depression. Why is high sugar intake actually linked to increased rates of depression? Well, you know, we understand sugar so well over the years in terms of type 2 diabetes, weight gain, or so many other things. But refined and added sugars affect the brain because they are disruptive to the gut microbes. Uh, they feed those bad microbes. The bad microbes start to thrive, set up for inflammation. That inflammation in the gut feeds back to inflammation in the brain. And over time, that cognitive the effects such as cognitive changes can even occur because of this sugar load. Not, so it's not just about the waistline or you know the, the family history of type 2 diabetes. It is actually impacting the brain. And it's something for us to take into consideration given there's a ton of sugar in foods that we eat and don't even realize it. And do artificial sweeteners have a similar effect? So artificial sweeteners uh, are disruptive to the gut microbiome. They have several, uh, especially the ones that I review in my book, have a lot of sort of side effects and problems in terms of mental health symptoms. And often people don't realize that. So they might think, well, you know, I'm, kind of, I'm trying to come off soda, so I'm going to a diet soda. But unfortunately, those, um, those additives, those artificial sweeteners can be problematic and cause an uptick of certain mental health symptoms. You lay out some fascinating research on how pre and probiotics can help with depression. What are some good foods for each, uh, for both pre and probiotics? Absolutely. So the way we want to think about it is prebiotic foods actually feed the microbes with good fiber and good nutrients. And there are things like oats, um, jicama, asparagus, um, the allium family, garlic, leeks, onions, um, Jerusalem artichoke and several more. So they're actually foods we want to start including because what they do is they fortify those gut microbes by giving them foods that they need to thrive. And that's what we want. We want our gut, gut microbes to be working for us. Um, probiotics can really, you know, are mostly supplements, but you can get live active cultures from fermented foods. So probiotics are usually supplements, um, supplement form, will have certain strains of microbes in them. And the thing about taking a probiotic is that you have to take it consistently because if you stop taking it, the changes, the positive changes that it's having on your gut microbiome will be reversed because you're not consistently taking it. So my thought about it is why not get those live active cultures 
from fermented foods because if you eat, if you drink kombucha or you eat miso, uh, tempeh um, and so many other things, you can actually get a plethora of different microbes that will help your gut microbiome. And that, you know, that is often better than taking a pill, which is, which is what a supplement would be. And, and people eat all the time. So it may just be an easier way to incorporate better foods for your uh, improved mood. I'm so glad you touched on glycemic load in the chapter on depression. People have heard glycemic index before, but that's not always an accurate indicator of what a food may be doing to you. Glycemic load is the number that I think people should be paying closer attention to. For anybody who hasn't heard of this before, what exactly is glycemic load and how do glycemic load carbohydrates impact the brain? Right. So, you know, unfortunately, the glycemic, high glycemic load carbohydrates are the ones that are unfortunately going to have um, a deleterious effect on the brain, because what they're going to do is they're going to really, you want to think about it as it's sort of a very simple way to think about it is it's really more sugar, um, like a, a bigger sugar load on the diet. Um, so I think that that is an easy way to, to break it down. And the glycemic index is an index of how food is uh, given a number between you know, zero to 100. And it's the amount of, of sort of uh, glucose in that, in that food. Uh, but glycemic load is just an easier way for us to um, to, for us to understand it in a, in a simpler way. And then think about those foods that we want to be careful about, um, eat, you know, including in, in our diet. You know, it is a function of the carbohydrate intake um, and its sort of glycemic index. And, and the better way to understand this is we now understand that carbohydrates get, get broken down into sugar. So it's an easier way to track what we're doing in this situation. It wasn't surprising to see turmeric in this chapter or throughout the book, really. Its active ingredient curcumin is one of the best consumables for the sake of helping with inflammation. Is there a minimum effective dose of turmeric to take daily? And should you be consuming it with anything else to help ensure maximum absorption? Absolutely. So, you know, with turmeric, I guide people towards a quarter teaspoon with a pinch of black pepper. And I say, start with a quarter teaspoon a day. If it's not something you've had before, if you cook with it, use it generously to season up roasted vegetables or anything that you're making, um, you know, two tablespoons a day. If you're cooking is completely fine. Always add a pinch of black pepper. Why? Because a pinch of black pepper, the purpurine and black pepper activates the active ingredient in turmeric it's curcumin and makes it 20 times more bioavailable to the brain and the body. So it's one of those things I called, I call it NPNB, which is a nutritional psychiatry no brainer, uh, because it's going to make it better for your brain and your body. You know, why not just add in the pinch of black pepper, which you probably have in your kitchen anyway. And, you know, turmeric is powerful. It has a lot of positive effects in the body from antioxidant to anti-inflammatory and more. So it's definitely something that's worth adding in if you haven't used it before. The Mediterranean diet not only helps with depression, but so does the Nordic diet. Now, it's very similar to the Mediterranean diet, with the main difference being uh, their value of canola oil, whereas the Mediterranean diet is more about olive oil. Which of those yes. oils do you think is better to consume, Uma? 
So, you know, there's always updated research and I think that there's a very big, so the better oil to consume is uh, extra virgin olive oil. Um, the, uh, one of the considerations I made in my book was that individuals with mental health issues may sometimes not necessarily have access or find it easily available to find extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, which tend to be more expensive and not always, um, you know, available to everyone. So I wanted to make sure that people knew that a non-GMO or organically sourced canola oil is certainly better than using a processed vegetable oil, but certainly my favorites are extra virgin olive oil and avocado oil. Chapter three is on anxiety. We feel anxiety in our stomachs. You feel knotted up whenever mm -hmm. you're nervous about something. Is there a connection between irritable bowel disorders and anxiety issues? Absolutely. So this is, has been shown and I've noticed it clinically. And I think that it's a tough one because it's not really clear whether, you know, whether, whether it's the chicken and the egg story. So the way that I look at it as a clinician when I'm working with someone is, you know, let's start with where the symptoms started first. And let's try to get some gut healing involved to help you out. Let's see how we can impact your anxiety by how you're eating and what you're doing. And one of the things to do is, is often with every one of us, we can somehow find things in our diet that we can kind of clean up, right? That we can, we can improve. And that's often a good place to start with these individuals uh, because they are so uncomfortable. They have uh, symptoms that are gastrointestinal, related and you know they they're not feeling good um so just like it's unsurprising that turmeric appears on the good list throughout this book uh it's not shocking at all that the western diet appears on the bad list of things to take if you're trying to avoid things like anxiety and depression why is it uh, on the bad list for so many different types of mental illnesses Right. So, you know, the standard American diet, the SAD diet, the Western diet, I, I sort of use them interchangeably, uh, you know, is, is really what many people are consuming, whether we realize it or not. And it's because we have so many foods in our supermarkets and in our environment that have a ton of added refined sugars, high fructose corn syrup, many savory foods that have a ton of sugar, our food labels, uh, kind of mislead us because they have sugar in grams instead of teaspoons, whereas all our recipes use, use teaspoons, tablespoons, pounds, and ounces. Food labels have grams, so many individuals looking at grams don't realize how much of sugar there is. And I think it's important for people to understand that four grams of sugar is one teaspoon, so convert it every single time and ask yourself in a half a cup of fruited yogurt, which I'm not in favor of, can sometimes have eight teaspoons of sugar because it could have many, many grams of sugar in it. So just do that quick conversion in foods. Um, so some of it is food labels, but also it's the fact that we're surrounded by packaged processed convenience foods, frozen dinners, frozen pizzas, frozen foods that are filled with preservatives, colorants, dyes, food stabilizers to make them shelf stable, to make them last long. And all of these are really not great for our gut, but they're also especially not great for our brain health. Um, they have that high glycemic load effect. They are uh, more refined and, and uh, not complex carbohydrates. And so we want to really be thinking about um, and, and by the way, that's not all that's in the Western diet. It's also processed vegetable oils, 
which often are used in fast food restaurants because they are conserving money and those are cheaper artificial sweeteners in a ton of different foods and uh, you know trans fats in baked goods and shelf stable goods as well uh, really really don't help us so we we want to clean up as best we can where we can uh, it's hard in this environment to avoid a packaged food but try to get one that has a healthier version and less sugar in it Gluten is another one of those things that you list as fueling anxiety, and that's obviously all over the Western diet as well. That's great information to have, about four grams equaling a, a teaspoon of sugar. I'm going to take that with me going forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's a, a very quick and easy way to calculate things on a food label that most people don't realize because they could be consuming a ton of sugar without knowing it. How does dietary fiber actually help with anxiety, and what are some of the best food sources for this? The way to think about fiber is that fiber is your friend. And the reason is that a more complex a fiber rich food, like a vegetable, um, you know, lettuces, uh, carrots, um, cauliflower, any veggies that you like are rich in fiber. These are more complex and they break down more slowly in your body. So you don't get the kind of sugar spike, a spike in your glucose, spike in your insulin that you would when you eat a sugary donut. The effect on your mind and your body is that when, you, when a food product breaks down more slowly, it has more of an even keel effect on your emotional state. So you, you, know, you may feel calmer, you may feel more satiated, you just may feel like, you know, I ate something and I feel okay. When you eat, a sh if you've ever, you know, stopped and bought coffee and a donut on the way to work, halfway to work or by the time you get there, you're hungry again because it's gone through your body very quickly it's caused that spike, you're now feeling hungry again, and you're kind of looking for that second donut or something else that you want to eat. And so we want to think about fiber as calming us uh, because of the contents. Fiber is found in vegetables, fruit, beans, nuts, seeds, legumes, healthy whole grains. Uh, fiber is not found in animal, seafood, uh, and meat products. So you want to, you want to make sure you're, you're putting in those veggies somewhere because the fiber is super helpful for your overall anxiety, but also your gut health. Chapter four covers PTSD. How does trauma affect the gut? So, you know, there've been a lot of studies that have looked at the impact on the microbes themselves and how they are affected by the emotional states that occur in someone who has had different forms of trauma. And this connection helps us understand that how we eat also becomes really important in helping to heal the gut in, in helping to heal the trauma, in um, really overall helping someone's mental well-being in this situation. Um, so, you know, there's, there's always a way that you, can, that you can use food to your best advantage. And what is old friends bacteria with regards to PTSD? Yes, it's sort of um, the, you know, it's a, it's a theory that, that looks at uh, different bacterial types and how they're related to the research in PTSD. And it's something, you know, that helps us inform, I think the message that I wanted to get through in my book was the fact that this is based on evidence around the gut microbiome. And these connections are now being shown in research. And now that we understand them, it's time for us to start implementing them and believing that they can have an impact and, you know, I would just ask people to, to try to eat differently to improve the symptoms of different conditions. Why are blueberries on the list of soothing foods for PTSD? Um, 
well, it turns out there's a good amount of research to show that that blueberries help with symptoms of PTSD. And this was a surprising fact that I found in my research. And so I feel that uh, adding them in uh, with one of, probably one of my favorite fruits because they are low in that glycemic index. Um, they have, uh, they, you know, really for me, it can almost be a dessert. A little uh, quarter cup of blueberries is a way to uh, almost stave off any cravings that one might have for candy bar, for ice cream. And they are powerful antioxidants, anti-inflammatory properties. The anthocyanins in blueberries, extremely powerful. So these are really worth um, adding into your diet. Chapter five is on ADHD. Why do you recommend breakfast for ADHD? Well, research show that when individuals with ADHD skip breakfast, they lose their focus much earlier in the day and they just have difficulty maintaining their focus and their attention. So one of the things that, you know, to understand ADHD, the reason I thought the study was important is a lot of medications for ADHD suppress appetite. People don't feel hungry. So it's important to therefore know that having breakfast built in with, you know, whenever you take your medication is super important to, um, to help with focus and attention. And I thought that was, uh, would be especially important for, you know, kids going to school, uh, or even some adults now who are being diagnosed with ADHD as well. You cover dementia and brain fog in chapter six. Ironically, alcohol can help with memory. How so? Well, with alcohol and substances like that, everything in moderation, you know, even a healthy food in moderation. So with alcohol, it was found that having a limited amount actually could be helpful. And I say this with caution. Number one, not everyone is the same. Not everyone has the same tolerance. But again, my idea here was to guide people down the research that's been done and offer some guidances around how they can use things effectively. Um, with alcohol, it's always a clean cocktail if you drink cocktails, without the simple syrup, the added liqueurs, the added juices, that type of thing. Or, you know, glass of red wine, rich in resveratrol, great antioxidant. Um, you know, same thing with coffee. Caffeine is actually a healthy substance for the body. But I'll tell you, honestly, two things with caffeine. One, it's the, the stuff that people put in, in their coffee, the, the sugar, the artificial sweeteners, this processed creamers, or it's that they drink so much or they don't know their tolerance hmm. and they drink a lot of it and then become anxious or jittery. So it's, it's really about knowing one's body and harnessing the positive impact of any of those substances. Um, and it's always about taking things in moderation. Yeah, sadly, the uh, Western diet has gotten its hooks into uh, the basic concept of coffee as well. Now, what is the mind diet and how and why does that help with memory as well? Right. So the mind diet was, you know, uh, research done by the late Margaret Morris, and it really looked at what potentially uh, improves, um, improves our um, it improves our cognitive state. And the, the foods are actually not as surprising, it, it really goes back to that super healthy diet, uh, lots of veggies, fruit, legumes, beans, and several other things, and some really good research behind it. And I feel like the more that we can lean into those types of things, the better off we will be um, for, for our cognitive health. And the other feeling I have 
that I really am trying to talk more often about in terms of our cognitive health is that, you know, people think about this memory as a disease of um, our grandparents, our parents. It's all of us, right? It, our brains are changing all the time. Um, we may have changes in our brain that could later lead to cognitive disorders. And in fact, what we're doing is we're diagnosing the cognitive disorders when someone has symptoms and we're trying to play catch up. A smarter way to do this is actually for every single one of us, you, me, and everyone listening to us to be eating healthier for our brain right now, because it is found, um, and research is showing us that by improving our nutrition, um, we can actually fend off inflammation in the brain, which is seen as one of the driving factors for things, um, things like cognitive disorders, Alzheimer's, and others. Uh, inflammation is really being seen as the underlying factor. So it's important for us to know that. And it's important for us to know that one way to fight that up is how we eat. No question about that. Chapter seven is on obsessive compulsive disorder. Milk thistle is among the consumables that you suggest can help fight compulsion. Now, I've heard about milk thistle and its positive impact on the liver. Is the same mechanism at play in its role in combating OCD? Um, the mechanism is definitely through the gut microbes. And so, you know, the, the reason that my uh, chapter one in my book is called Gut Brain Romance is it really walks you on a path of the different conditions and the, uh, the different impact on the, gut, on the gut microbes and how they interact with these different foods or supplements or whatever it is that we're describing. It's not that it doesn't have an effect on the liver. Yes, there is a mechanism there, but primarily a lot of these interactions are through the, the gut microbiota. Chapter eight is on insomnia and fatigue. Melatonin is something that can help you get to sleep. I didn't realize that you could get melatonin from food sources. What are some good food sources to help with melatonin? Right. So some good forces, uh, good food sources for melatonin are eggs, um, some vegetables like asparagus. Um, people, I, I like to say to people, you know, uh, flip your breakfast for dinner because these are foods that actually can help you calm, uh, calm down the brain. Um, get your body ready for sleep, and they, they're great to add in. Foods that help fight fatigue include spicy foods. What is it about capsaicin that helps out here? Mm -hmm. So capsaicin is the, uh, the basically what's found in chili peppers, and it is uh, one of those spices that's been shown to fend off fatigue. Um, so it's, it's worth adding in some spicy foods along with anti-inflammatory foods like omega-3s, colorful veggies like the rainbow veggies for their polyphenols, and some other spices like turmeric and black uh, cumin as well. All of these actually have been shown to help fight off fatigue. So um, a good one, good one to know. Chapter nine is bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Uh, I've heard for a long time that keto can really help out with somebody who is suffering from seizure issues. Obviously, uh, epilepsy is on, in that category, but okay. you suggest that it can help with bipolar disorder as well. Does that also have to do with inflammation in the brain? Absolutely. So, you know, there is uh, there's some good research behind the fact that the ketogenic diet and specific um, cases of bipolar disorder have been helpful but it's always worth understanding when it comes to the disorders like bipolar disorder, schizophrenia, major depression with psychosis, that you really should be speaking to your doctor in all circumstances. Reason being 
that this may not be enough to treat what's going on with you. Um, so certainly dietary influences, whether it is a short-term version of the ketogenic diet that you try based on research I share in my book, um, and, and you notice symptom improvement, in all cases, it should be under the care of your doctor, and you should be getting the advice of your doctor before you engage in it. And that applies really to any principle in this book. What is sodium's impact on bipolar disorder? Well, you know, sodium is interesting because uh, sodium, firstly, is very important in our body. And even though there are certain diets that we need to follow to have less, uh, less salt in our diet, sodium actually performs and is part of several biochemical and en enzymatic reactions in the body. So it's important. I think the one has to be careful with sodium and bipolar disorder because some of the medications like lithium um, uh, actually, you know, there's a, there's a fine... Um, kind of interaction between these two. So one wants to understand that a person is consuming salt, but they may be taking a medication. And that is why things like, like with lithium, we always check lithium levels in the body, um, you know, to know that a person who's prescribed such a medication is within, within a therapeutic range. Chapter 10 tries to help with libido issues. What is PFOA and how does this impact libido? So these are some toxic substances that actually uh, were found in things like nonstick cookware and several other places that I list in the book. Um, and so I you know, share with people that they want to be careful about where and how, say, their cooking utensils are obtained, worth spending maybe a little bit uh, extra money on a cleaner form of uh, cooking utensil because th that's one of the places that these uh, PFO uh, uh, OAs are found. So just a little tip, uh, you know, to be thinking not only about what you're eating, but also how you're preparing your food and what you're using to prepare your food. Oxytocin boosting foods can also work like an aphrodisiac. Uh, what sorts mm -hmm. of foods can you get that help boost the oxytocin levels? Extra dark natural chocolate, people will be happy to know, 80% <laughs> darker, uh, you know, um, magnesium and essential amino acids bound in things like meats, uh, certain uh, dairy um, and certain vegetables and eggs, coffee, you know, caffeine consum consumption was thought to be, uh, you know, uh, thought to be helpful. So, you know, I think uh, adding these in can be, uh, can be important can be important into improving, improving uh, how one's feeling. So you finish your book with a bunch of different recipes that can help with each of these issues. For those who are unaware, you are also a professionally trained chef as well. I love the concept of having the recipes at the end of this book because you Thank are you. really walking the talk by doing so, by laying out some right. uh, very tasty Thank ways you. that people can address these various things. Do you have a favorite recipe amongst those that you listed in your book? Uh, so um, thank you for for acknowledging the recipes because that was probably the hardest chapter in my book to write. I, <laughs> I struggled to figure out ways that, you know, just to share the concepts and share them in a digestible, easy way that people could make the recipes. My favorite recipe tray is uh, the spinach dal. 
um, because that's something I make in different variations, adding in different veggies, uh, adding in some, um, you know, some other proteins for members of my family who consume them, uh, who consume, uh, I happen to be, have been raised vegetarian, but other members of my family eat different forms of beef, and it's actually a really hearty dish that you can adapt in so many different ways, but I love lentils, and that's my favorite. Uma Naidu, MD, is a board-certified psychiatrist, professional chef, and nutritional specialist. She is the director of the Nutritional and Lifestyle Psychiatry at Massachusetts General Hospital and director of Nutritional Psychiatry at the Massachusetts General Hospital Academy. She is also now the author of her first book titled, This is Your Brain on Food, an indispensable guide to the surprising foods that can fight depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD, ADHD, and more. You can get it now wherever books are sold. Uma, thank you so much for the time today, and thank you for this incredibly important book. Thank you so much, Shay. I'm so grateful for your support and great questions. So it was wonderful to talk with you. Join me next time when I speak with Joe Wimpenny on Aesop's Animals, the science behind the fables. Thanks to Gentleman Jesus for the intro and outro music. Hear more of his work at GentlemanJesus.com. And thanks to you for hanging out. You can watch, listen, and connect for free at BooksOnPod.com. For Books on Pod, I'm Trey Elling. Good day. <laughs> <laughs>